Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I'm so happy that you're here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about many things to do with parenting and motherhood and explore the joys and challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to share more about aware parenting, to inspire us all on our parenting adventures, and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today, I'm really, really excited because I have wonderful Lainey Liberty on the phone all the way from Mexico. Hi, Lainey. Thank you so much for making time to come and talk to us. Hi, I'm so excited to be here and have this conversation. Yeah, me too. Me too. So Lainey is the mum to beautiful Miro, who is now 24 years old. She is an author, an international speaker. She is an alternative education advocate and the spearhead of the world schooling movement. She has written several books, including her latest one, Seen, Heard and Understood, a guide for parenting and partnering with teens for greater mental health. She is the founder of a team mentoring program, a TEDx speaker, and an all-round general supporter of parents to be doing things differently. So I'm so looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, me too. Thank you. So I just I want to be clear at the beginning of the conversation that we're not specifically going to be talking about aware parenting as such today. We're going to be talking more about conscious parenting and supporting learning outside of the school through adventure and exploration. But of course, I'm looking forward to exploring all of your wisdom. So I always start by asking people to briefly share their story of how how you got to this point where you're doing this amazing work. Okay, so I guess my origin story brings me back to 2008. I'm originally from California, from Los Angeles. And in 2008, we actually had an economy crash in California. And that affected everything. I was a business owner at the time, and I ran an agency that basically served green eco companies. We did branding, marketing, advertising, that sort of stuff. And we specialized in serving nonprofits for the most part. And when the economy crashed, my clients went away left and right, left and right. And near the end of the year, I knew that I would not be bringing back my staff. And in addition to being a business owner, I also was and still am a single parent. And at the time, Miro, who is my son, was nine. And one of the most common things that he said to me was, mom, you never spend any time with me. You're always working. And it was true. And those words just cut straight to my heart. It was just such a difficult thing to hear because as a single parent, I'm, I'm the breadwinner. I'm the mom. I'm the dad. I'm, I'm playing all the roles. I'm wearing all the hats and my working was really justified by providing for the family. And this is what I got to do. Yet there, I had great cognitive dissonance. This was not the way that I wanted to live my life. And I was an intentional parent. I always wanted to be a parent. And um, that sort of takes me scooting back a few more years to more of my origin story, which was 
which will lead into our conversation a little bit deeper. But basically, being raised in California, in in I was born in the '60s, and not a whole lot of aware, conscious parenting <laughs> during that time. And in fact, it was quite authoritarian parenting. And I was raised in a household where I was yelled at a lot. I experienced a lot of childhood trauma. My teen years were the most problematic. I engaged in behavior that was not very good. You know, I did a lot of self-sabotage. I had a lot of very limiting beliefs. I was not very mentally healthy in terms of thinking about myself and how I related to the world. However, one of the byproducts from my childhood trauma was I had this incredible sense of independence and almost to a, well, not almost, truly to a fault, you know, hyper-independence. I could do it all myself, all by myself. I don't need anybody's help. I'm doing this. I'm going to figure it out. And understanding that I had quite a, a very well-working brain, I was able to learn and I was a very quick learner. I understood that I could learn whatever I wanted. And so part of the hyper-independence drove me into a focused avenue of self-directed healing. And that was my job in addition to my other work, but that was my job. I I did so much research about uh, mental health tools, about self-development, about self-healing, about psychology, about neurobiology. Everything that you can think of was super interesting to me because I knew I wanted to be a parent and I didn't want to parent in the same way that I was parented. And I wanted to be healthy and I wanted to really deconstruct the patterns that had been created from the trauma from my childhood. So that brought me in, down a path of studying attachment parenting. So after the economy crashed, one night I was sitting in the office with my son late in 2008, and I based solely on, on inspiration. I didn't know these words were going to come out of my mouth, but I turned to my son. It was like nine o'clock at night. We were still in the office. I looked over at him and I said, Miro, what do you think if we just get rid of all this stuff? and go have an adventure. And I remember he was playing a video game and he stopped and he turned around and he was on a swivel chair and he looked at me and he's like, you serious? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, one question. And I said, what? He said, do I have to go to school? And I said, no. And he said, I am in. And that started the the transformation, which brought me to where where I am today, sitting and talking to you from Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Wow, wow! What an amazing story! Thank you for sharing that. I really, I really heard the. I think this is such a common thing for so many mothers this this juggle that we are often facing when we are trying to play so many roles at once in our lives, trying to be the earner, trying to be the mother, trying to be all the other things that we have to be, and and our intention to try to parent so differently to what we received, and our deep desire to heal our trauma and to, re, to rediscover who we truly are 
And what a huge process all that is. And I love that sense that you suddenly found yourself really in this situation through these external circumstances that you had no control over, where for some reason you just had this inspiration. And I love all the sense of excitement and possibility when you're sharing that part of the story where you just turned to Miro and said, what if? And he turned around and went, yeah, I'm in. It's just so beautiful. And I really... I really hear about the impact of our childhood trauma, and that's something I really re- resonate with when you're talking, because so often we come to this role of parenting with so much pain ourselves, because like you said, we were raised in a time when nothing was really known or shared in the in the wider world around attachment and trauma and all of those kind of things. And as a result, we then come to this role with, with lots of stuff that really requires our, atten- in, our attention and our care if we're then going to offer something else to our children. Uh, and yeah, what an what an ongoing process that is. <laughs> it's Absolutely. so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So I'd love to ask you a little bit about conscious parenting. Then about you know, what 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 does it mean to raise our children consciously, and and how does it help our children? So I've read quite a bit about conscious parenting and aware parenting and peaceful parenting. And through all of that, again, I told you I'm hyper independent. (laughs) I had to make it my own. I had to make the way that I was doing it my own because although attachment parenting and all of the different modalities all are beautiful and wonderful and have something to offer, the one thing that I really wanted to... uh, to address in conscious parenting was a a lot of times people that talk about conscious parenting are coming at it from, from a very heart filled space and really want to connect with their children on a deep emotional connection. And I wanted all of that, but the part that didn't sit well for me was the behavior and focusing on the child's behavior. And I wanted my son to be as free as possible. That was such an important part. And so instead of using the term aware parenting or conscious parenting, we started to use the term partnership parenting. And for us, that freed us from using other people's modalities, which all led into the thing that we were talking about, but it also allowed me to accentuate my political beliefs. I am a self-proclaimed anarchist, and this comes from my childhood, of course. And so partnership to me allowed me to enter into a very conscious relationship that was connected with my son without having an authoritarian paradigm. And what I recognized about being in relationship with another person, whether it's a child or or a romantic partner or a business partner, is you all bring different components and aspects and talents and skills and abilities to the relationship. It doesn't mean that you're exactly the same. It means that as a parent and a child, Obviously, I'm the breadwinner. I'm obviously the one who's providing, but that doesn't make me more than this young person 
who is entrusted entrusted in me for his care. It just makes me a partner. And if we can figure out how to walk side by side on the path of life, which when we started to travel, we literally did that, we were able to express partnership in a way that conventional life wasn't able to, or we weren't able or allowed to actually have that expression. So yes, I I practice aware parenting and conscious parenting, but it's my mind, I call it partnership parenting because there was no agenda other than the living in partnership and exploring as partners, whatever unfolded, unfolded. It made sense for our family. And thank God, there's so many wonderful people out there that are practicing things like conscious parenting and aware parenting and hand-in-hand parenting and peaceful parenting and all the rest, all of the, and attachment parenting, let's not forget that one. And that was really healing for me. And when you talked about, you know, people that are struggling with coming to terms with their own childhood trauma and not wanting to bring that into the relationship with their children, that's huge because anything that's not addressed or integrated or understood as a part of your your being your child is going to touch on those spaces almost with a salty finger in a wound. And those things will be reawakened. Those things that are not integrated or many people use the word healed, those things will come up and be triggered. And that is really important to recognize that parenting is probably, as you know, the most important work we can do, but also the most challenging. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. As you said, what we're trying to do with our children is offer them this deep emotional connection. But I love that you brought in the the, the value and the immense uh, power of offering our children freedom as well. And building these conscious, connected relationships with our kids is, as you say, it's an ongoing process. But I really, I love that word that you're using, partnership parenting, because it really does capture what we're really trying to offer our children that is so different from, I mean, the adultism that is so rife in our culture around adults knowing best, children never being heard, children's opinions not being valued. I mean, it's just, it's horrendous really. And and that's certainly what we experienced most of us as children and, and is still so prevalent today. So I love that sense. And I also loved what you were talking about in terms of our own healing and how parenting gives us these two beautiful opportunities. One, to address all, all of our unhealed pain uh, that, that gets touched again and again and again by our children's behavior. And at the same time, to, to raise our children to be, to be free, to be self-connected, to be healthy, to be well. It's such a beautiful dual process that, that parenting offers us when we make these choices to do it differently. It's, it's not easy, though. May I speak a, a moment about the word healing? So, so I can, please do, you know, so your audience can understand where I'm coming from. A lot of 
times, especially in popular culture, people you throw around the world, heal your traumas. And without a, a whole lot of understanding of what that really means. And most of the common understanding or belief is that when you heal a trauma, it's gone. It it leaves. It's no longer there. And that is a fallacy. What we need to understand as human beings is our programming is a gift and it's going to be a part of us for our entire existence. It is there. It's part of the programming that makes who we are. And when I use the word integration instead of healing, I'm basically saying the same things. It's the awareness, the recognition, the pulling apart and examining, the the sitting with the hard feelings, the emotions. It's all of those processes. But most people that don't go down this path believe that healing is just erasing those things so they're no longer a part of your life. And integrating is a better word because it means that you're you're utilizing what you've been given, what you've been served to no fault of yours, and now you're integrating it to make sense. So when somebody triggers you, you have to understand. And when your children trigger you, you have to understand that it's your programming that is getting activated. And you as the adult, the parent, the conscious person, you then are accountable for recognizing what's coming up in you. And then either running the program, as many people do that haven't gone through the process of, again, healing. I wish there was a better word. Looking at when that stuff comes up, we can either play the story and react, or we can respond in a different way. Because as an adult, we're accountable for what what's going on inside of us. We're accountable for our internal worlds. And the majority of the people that I work with have never even considered that. And that is kind of tragic. Mm. Yes, I love that distinction. I think it's really helpful. Thank you for that. Because I I love how Elisa Salter talks about this in, in her latest book, Healing Your Traumatized Child, because as you say, we're not talking about erasing pain. We're talking about transforming the impact of that pain. Um, it's always going to be a, a central part of who we are, but it's about bringing curiosity and compassion to what comes up for us that supports our bodies to, to use these really powerful innate healing mechanisms that Aletha talks about to, to, to bring our bodies out of these heightened, aroused nervous system states to come back to balance. But yes, it's it's about recognizing when that parts of us are being touched in the present moment due to our children's behavior or something completely unrelated to our children and seeing that as an opportunity to bring some compassion and some curiosity and some exploration to what's coming up for us and and allowing that to still be there there isn't that same it's it's i think often people sort of resist there's a resistance there you're wanting to to get rid of it 
to get this part of you to go. And of course, yeah, that's not possible. It's always going to be part of us. But uh, what it what it creates in us and what it uh, triggers in us is is where the power lies in terms of healing, really. So yeah, I, I love that distinction. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> you talk about the importance for you and the people that you work with of designing a strong and intentional family culture. Do you want to talk a little bit more about what what that might look like? Because I think often we find ourselves in parenting and we're suddenly <laughs> parents with this small little thing to look after. And we're sort of often feeling like we're several steps behind, really, in, in terms of knowing what the hell to do <laughs> with this little being. And I think I love this sense of really bringing clarity to, to what we truly want and what our intentions are for our family. So can you talk about that process? I would love to. So now that you know what our origin story is, I wasn't so intentional with the family culture until we started to travel. And before we started to travel, I was introducing a lot of concepts to Miro as a nine-year-old. And that's really when we decided to design what our family culture was going to look like. Because here we are stepping out of our old world, our conventional life, into the unknown. And for me, I needed to have this scaffolding. I needed to understand how to make sense of the world around me. And especially, as I said, as somebody who did not really want to be in an authoritarian position, I don't respect authoritarian figures in my life, especially if they're not in alignment with the things that are important to me. And I wanted my son to have this experience. I wanted him him to feel empowered. So again, our journey was before we set out, we came up, we agreed on some, I don't want to say ground rules, but but different ideas to help us navigate our new life together. And we called that our family culture. One of them was we did not want to live with rules. We wanted to do whatever we wanted to do, whenever we wanted to do it. And I know that sounds radical. Again, you understand that I'm coming from a from a background of, of self-identifying as an anarchist, but I really wanted him to feel the freedom with me, right, of exploring this planet together. And our journey was a side-by-side journey. It wasn't me pulling him or me pushing him. It was our journey. And so one of the ways that we enabled ourselves to stay safe and live without rules, and any family can do this in any situation, was to define individually our core values were. And we did a pretty deep investigation uh, into our individual core values. And near the end of the, the exploration, we came up with each our set of five core values. And we looked at that and we talked about our five core values. We numbered them. We kept them in the forefront of what was important to us. Even There were even times where we put post-it notes up. And then once we had our core values, we defined what our family's core values were together. And that was a wonderful exercise. And then 
when decisions were meant to be made, shall we do this? Do you want to spend money on that? Shall we take this adventure? Shall we go left? Shall we go right? Shall we go straight? Shall we stay where we are? We now had the foundation to run those questions through the filter of our core values and check and see what was in alignment. And this required quite a lot of self-inquiry. So I expected and modeled what self-inquiry looked like for my son and empowered him to do the same. And through this process and this process and many other processes, Miro's emotional intelligence was being developed. His his sense of his internal worlds became familiar. His, His accountability for understanding what he was feeling, what he was thinking, what he was perceiving, what was coming up for him. The words that we used a lot was, what is alive for you right now? And that opened it up to thoughts, to beliefs, to perceptions, and to feelings. And that created a culture of communication. And that's just one of the tools. The partnership was very intentional. We defined what partnership looked like. We also defined who was responsible for each role. And that was really comfortable. And we shifted and played with roles, you know, who's making breakfast, who's making money, who's, you know, who's doing the budget, who's, you know, how are we making decisions? And by having all of these tools gave us a sense of the scaffolding that was supporting us as we were stepping into the unknown, the partnership, the arm in arm sort of journey that we were taking. And it gave us a sense of safety going through a space of unknown. And again, this, you know, I'm giving you a a radicalized description of how we defined it, but any of these tools can be adapted for any lifestyle. We also took on some some other major themes like questioning everything. And that meant questioning the world around us and questioning each other and really expecting the inquiry to be a part of the experience. And because I was somebody who I read a lot, I researched a lot, I believed intuitively that I could learn whatever I wanted to learn. My natural curiosity was a very active and still is a very active part of my personality. And what I recognized was Miro was modeling what I, all the questions I was asking. And we started to then be the curious duo. And it was just so much fun to be in inquiry about everything around us because there there was so much to discover and to learn. And because I said to my son, no, you don't have to go to school. The learning was just something that was happening naturally. And we just kept it going. It was a game. It was just so much fun. And that became one of our family culture rituals you know how many how many questions could we ask how much research could we do how 
you know, who built that building that's in front of us? What's the history of the building? Why is it there? Who did it house? You know, is it standing this way and not that way? And all of these things were points of of curiosity that we both wanted to know. We were both hungry to know everything about us. And the world was so interesting when you activate your own natural curiosity. So that again was a, a like I said, a very active part of our our family culture. And it still is. Are you kidding? He lives in the town that I live in here in Mexico. And we're always meeting for lunch or it comes up and does his laundry. And we're still always asking, you know, who designed this washing machine? I don't know. Let's look it up. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. So beautiful. I think it's Oh, so much to say about that, really. But I guess what I'm really struck by is this idea about living intentionally and identifying what your core values are in order for you to stay living aligned with what you truly value. And I think that is so important when we're considering taking our children out of school as well to start to get really clear not about what the cultural conditioning is, but about what we truly believe is best for our children, what our children believe is best for them, and what we believe is best for our family. And I think, yeah, I love that that questioning about it. And I love that sense as well of the, the culture of communication between the two of you. And then that you see everywhere you look in the world, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, there are learning opportunities all around that our children are inevitably going to utilize because they're curious, because they want to understand the world around them. They want to know. And when they're removed from that school system, they have that belief in themselves and their ability to explore, to research, to uncover themselves to whatever level they are interested in exploring to. And I love the freedom in that too. Do you want to talk a bit about, I mean, obviously your world schooling journey has been a long one and you now help lots of other people to, to make these choices too. What what would you love parents to understand about, about learning and about the benefits of stepping outside of the school system and doing things so differently? I mean, we could talk about this for hours, but... <laughs> yeah, we could. <laughs> My goodness. I think freedom has got to be at the foundation. And I think the human spirit thrives when they're living a free life. And I think most of the time, most people don't have a true sense of how that feels because we are conditioned by our culture. We are conditioned by the the generations that came before us. We are conditioned by the expectations of the world around us. Well, one of the other family cultural um, qualities that that we had was to try and say yes more, yes to everything, um, as long as it ran through the filter and was in alignment with our values, we could say yes. And when my son asked me eight months into our journey, can we just keep doing this forever? Of course, I had to say yes, um, because it was in alignment with with who we were and what we both wanted. I said, yes, but as the person who does a lot of research, if we're going to do it forever, then as the adult and as the mom, I had to come up with a suggestion 
as to how we were going to really address education. In my mind, one year of travel, which is what we intended to do in the beginning, you know, one year of travel, Miro would learn way more during one year of travel than fifth grade could ever offer him. But when we decided to continue to do it indefinitely, I had to look at, quote unquote, education. And that was the very first time, believe it or not, I had heard of unschooling. I had never heard of it before. It's crazy. I know. I think about it now because (laughs) it's such a massive part of our lives. But when I discovered there was this thing called unschooling and we were already doing it and we were doing it in partnership and we were doing it naturally and it was working and it was effective, it was really powerful. But it's not the kids that really need to adjust. It's the parents. And it was a lot of my own conditioning that I had to look at. I had to take a really deep look at that. And when I discovered that education was a systemic institution that was meant to separate the learner from the the quality of the education it was it was separating the learner from being you know in control of what they were learning and it was meant to create a sort of feeling of the sage on the stage where the institution had the sacred knowledge and only through them would we gain this this in tangible object called education, I wanted to re-examine that. And we started to change the word from education to learning. And a lot of that came up inside of me. Well, wait a minute. What does it mean to be educated? And I had to really pull out a piece of paper and break this stuff down and recognize that my own conditioning was getting in the way of going back to doing the thing that we were already doing, which was learning, learning joyfully, learning in partnership, learning naturally, and um, learning together. And that to me was sort of the biggest aha moment. And then I started to recognize all the thoughts that came up that, well, wait a minute, what about math? That's a big one. What about college? What about this? And I started to call those instead of foolish thoughts, foolish thoughts, because, and it made me giggle. (laughs) Oh, it's another schoolish thought. Well, that's not mine. That was given to me by culture. Oh, look at that sitting there. And Miro and I would have a good laugh about that. And throughout the years, we talked, you know, he was nine when we left. He's now 24. And obviously, we addressed all sorts of things. And we looked at things like, well, this is what an 11th grader would be studying in your home country. What do you think? And we would just giggle because learning things out of context first of all, makes no sense. Second of all, taking curriculum that is supposed to build upon the last thing and, and you know create this scope and sequence of learning, the, the question at the end of all of that is why? 
away. Why? And I remember maybe 10 years ago, I did a deep dive into why algebra and calculus and, and geometry and all of these higher math math are taught in school. And I read academic papers. I mean, I did a deep dive into this. And what I discovered overall was higher math is presented to students to stimulate the logical centers of the brain. And for somebody who will never use those those particular disciplines because they're going into literature or journalism or something else, things that are related, yes, you need that. If you're going to go into architecture or engineering or some some branches of science, okay, granted, you, you may need that. But for some of the other focuses, you absolutely don't. But the sort of homogenized approach of education is to stimulate the logical centers of the brain and give the student or the young person the experience of decision-making, making logical decisions and understanding formulas. And all of that stuff is great to know. But we did all that in our travels. We we made decisions. We were able to process mathematical, you know, money conversions and timetables and you know, all these crazy things because they were a part of our experience and necessary. And my son was never interested in, in sciences other than geology and um, some of the earth sciences that were interesting to him, but the other sciences, not so much. And I always asked him, do you want to take a course? Do you want to do a thing? Because kids your age are doing this thing. Now, mom, I'm studying Greek mythology, or I'm studying origin stories, or I'm learning pre-Columbian history because here we are, and this is important. So when the recognizing that the school system, the institutions take things out of context and they don't create relevance, that really was a big aha moment for us. So I I don't believe in homogenized education because we're not all the same people and we're not all meant to do the same things. And I really think childhood should be filled with freedom, wonderment, um, exploration and curiosity and joy and play, all that stuff, because that's all the foundation of learning. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's not just freedom for our children to explore what they want to explore, what they're interested in, what suits their learning styles and that particular moment in their development. But it's also freedom from so much of the other stuff that they are subjected to at school around control and stress and yeah, all the other things that we don't really need to speak about, but that, that are such a big part of that childhood education in school process. And I really enjoyed how you were speaking about the the value of of giving our children freedom and and how we can see them thriving when they are being raised in that way. Loved your uh, comment about schoolish thoughts. I think that's really nice because I think the deconditioning process is a huge one. And I mean, I I took my son out of school when he was finishing kindy, and he's now nineteen, and all of that time he's been at home, and I am still unpacking 
and taking apart the cultural conditioning around learning that is still coming into my mind, that is still impacting how I think and feel about things all this time later, even though I've seen both of my children have this amazing adventure with their learning, which has been going on for so long. So it is a really huge process. And I I really enjoyed as well what you're saying about how the schooling system is this homogenized one size fits all curriculum and how can that possibly meet the needs of our children who are all so unique and this questioning about why and how much more valuable it is for our children to be learning through real life living rather than being locked away in an institution being subjected to a curriculum that was was never really about acquiring knowledge for our children and yes, I love the sense that from, through traveling, our children's learning can come through this, this worldview of, of how people live all over the place and how different we all are on that journey. And yes, I know that for some people, that would be a really terrifying prospect to take their children out of school, to sell up everything and to just go off on an adventure and to see where life took you. And many people would probably say it's it's very irresponsible thing to do too and would go into all of that kind of judgment because of their own conditioning around what children need. But I really I see, that. yeah, I'm sure you did. How did you cope with that kind of thing? Because often when we're making different choices for our families, we are subjected to the judgments of others and it might be judgments from within our families or it might be from others or it might be just people questioning us on the street you're doing what what about socialization what about maths what about all of those sorts of questions and we've we've been on the receiving end of lots of that too how have you navigated that process well i mean that probably has been the most sort of tragic part it's been difficult i remember being in in Colombia, and we met this beautiful family. They, she was the woman was a or the mom was a, a journalist, and she was so fascinated with our journey. And she wrote an article that was in one of the Colombian papers. In fact, we had the whole back cover. They sent a photographer, and she interviewed us. But she also had a son. Miro's age, and they were off playing, and he came back in tears and. He the the boy said things like, "Well, you don't go to school. You're not. You're going to be nothing. You're how how can you manage life?" And this was a devastating. It was the first time that Miro had heard that this journey that we're, we were taking could somehow damage him, and and that was really cruel. And we sat down and we talked about it, and, and we pulled out all of the different fears. And I shared with him, I too experienced these kinds of fears because of the social conditioning that I've been subjected to. And it sounds to me like this boy has been told by his family and by the the world around him that school is the only way for you to be something. And we sat and we we talked and I asked him, do you believe that school is going to provide you with the, the foundation for being the you that you are? And he said, no. And we, we recognize that people that don't understand our journey sometimes can be quite cruel. And that gave us a little bit of... of reference to be able to know how to handle it next time. And even though that experience was painful for him, he gained 
confidence in knowing all the things that he did learn. And we talked about, we looked up what they were learning in Colombia at that age. And he's like, I've already learned all that stuff. I already know that and 10 times more. And that gave him a little sort of sense of confidence in that moment. But fast forward a couple more years and... I, I told you about my my childhood trauma. I worked my entire adult life to try and create a connection with my mother who I was not very connected with, but it was very important to me because I felt like I deserved to have the love and approval of a mom. And throughout my adult life, early adult life, yes. Still, still at arm's length, but we were close, but there was still quite a lot of judgment. And I had to sort of push back my childhood trauma and, but it was worth it to me. But near the third or fourth year, she came in, she met us in Peru and she was so judgmental and our interaction was quite volatile. And she said to me, first of all, does he have friends? I'm like, he's sitting right here. Why don't you ask him? Do you have friends? And Miro would say, yes, of course I have friends. And then she'd say things like, who? <laughs> you know. So that kind of really deep inquiry or questioning, or it just wasn't comfortable. And then she looked at me and she said in front of my son, Lainey, it's time for you to grow up. It's time for you to drop this, this teenage attitude and go back to the U S and, and raise your child responsibly. And I stood up and I said, you cannot talk to me or my son like that. We walked out and that was the last time I saw her. And that's been about seven or eight years, so maybe closer to 10 at this point. I don't know. It's really sad. I obviously had to do and still, you know, process a lot about that. I don't have a relationship with my mother because the judgment and the control is still a, a big part of her personality and and it just, it was volatile. But for me and Miro, unfortunately, she's missed out on, on this beautiful soul's life. She has not spoken to him as long as she, you know, obviously hasn't spoken to me. And that's her choice. And it's, you know, it's part of my trauma integration healing. I was going to use the word healing, but it's, it's part of my story. It's, and, it's it's not pleasant, but it just is. It just is. So it's not always they'll come around. Sometimes mm. they do, sometimes they don't. And those that are not in alignment, and I heard my son say those words, mom, she's not in alignment with our values. And I was able to exhale because I didn't have shame. I had this partnership that understood that we're making a choice and we walked out. This was the best for our family. And that's really hard to do. Mom, she's not in alignment with our values. 
Wow. Gosh, I'm wanting to send you lots of love going through that because I understand how painful it is and and how hard it is for us when we're going through our own deconditioning, particularly around our children's learning, to be brought face to face in these really painful ways with other people's conditioning around learning and their unwillingness to unpack that and how that often means it's really painful for us. And often that is judgments for others, but And those questions as well, I've had lots of experience of that too, being questioned, being, and my children being questioned. People would ask us sometimes in the street, so do you know your times tables to my children? Do you know your times tables? What's nine times four? It's it's such a ridiculous thing to ask a child. But yeah, it's a really, it's a really tricky thing about doing things very differently. And it is often going to to push lots of other people's buttons. And and I love that sense that you just stayed really clear, did the processing and the ongoing processing, presumably, that is required of you to be in that painful situation, but to keep coming back to your values and what what you really want for you and what Miro really wants for Miro and what you both really want for your partnership. I think that's really beautiful. I'd love to ask you a bit about the, the practicalities of doing that. First of all, in relation to, to building community, because when you are out on the road, of course, you make these beautiful connections. And we found that we've done a lot of traveling with our kids too. And you do have these beautiful connections with people along the way. But it's not the same as being in a community that is a, a constant, stable place where you're you're part of a school community, for example, or you're part of a, a village that you might live in. And and friends, friends for our children where they get to, to spend time with, with people who they really connect with. How have you navigated building community for yourselves when you haven't been part of one that's built for you? Well, I mean, here's the thing. And Miro said this to me actually yesterday. We we had lunch yesterday. If it's not there, I'll build it. And that's just sort of part of my gumption. You know, it's just part of who I am. I recently said, you know what? I want to be a part of an accountability group for my business. There isn't one, I'm going to build it. And I put up a post and I got people interested in, you know, we're launching this thing. And he's like, mom, that's the thing that I love about you. If it's not there, you build it. And that's how we started. We launched Project World School. Miro wanted community and we were living in Peru. And again, it was not me pulling him to do anything, we decided that we both loved being where we were. And we were living in the Andes in Cusco, and it was a beautiful place. And it was serving both of us. Our interests were both really high, and we were engaged in life. Miro made friends with people of all ages, but he really, as soon as he hit 14, he really wanted to have some kids his age that he can have some some deeper friendships with. And he was able to articulate those needs. And I said, okay, well, let's pull out a piece of paper and write down all the possible ways that we can do this. One of the options was to go back to California and find a community and live there. Another option was, oh my gosh, there were so many of them. But but one of the options that really surprised me, I didn't plan on doing this. I said, what if we bring kids to us? And why don't we share like this natural learning that we're doing here in Cusco? And he's like, that's really cool. And so that was the birth of our company that we founded together called Project World School. 
And that's been running for a little over 10 years, 11 years to be precise. And we've brought more than 200 teens around the world to different places for these immersive learning experiences. We call them temporary learning communities. And it's it's full-blown social learning, experiential learning, and community building. So we did that for him. And then it was running well. You know, we started it. We started, you know, the first year was one trip. The second year was two trips. The third year was three trips in different places. And then after that, we just sort of exploded. We were just kind of going around the world. And then we had this great, like, oh, let's go to Greece or let's go to Spain or let's let's go to Africa. And we'll, we'll try and figure out the best places to bring kids and we'll make uh, connections. A few years into running teen retreats, I was like, I want to do this for me too. And I started then to produce conferences for world schoolers. And we would, because there were so many people, I started a Facebook group and it grew to 40,000 people and people were interested in world schooling. And I was like, there's so many families out there doing this. Let's create a conference in different places in the world. And then we'd all come and meet and we'd have like this temporary hub. I don't want to facilitate a full-fledged learning experience, but I want to come together with the with the parents and talk about the challenges and share experiences and share tips and and you know give presentations. And we created uh, the Project World School Family Summits. And I produced 10 of those, 10 conferences around the world. And that was really cool too. We just had one in here in Mexico in March. And unfortunately for some people, but fortunately for me, I said, that's the last one. That's the 10th one. But the benefit of doing those conferences was it showed people, it was like a beacon. So people that were traveling, they'd be able to plan their activities and then be in one place or one town at the same time. And that was really cool. And that sparked all these other people that wanted to start organizing pop-ups around the world and doing family retreats, which is something that I'm really not interested in doing. I, I found that my passion and purpose is really working with teens, but building community, nobody said I couldn't do it. So I did it. Yeah, <laughs> so. I it. Yes. I love that attitude. And I think that's what we're constantly asked to do that when we're doing things differently. And particularly when we're taking our children out of school. And I love that sense that, yeah, if it's not there, you build it. And that's such an empowering thing, both for us as parents and, and for our children to be seeing us doing that and for us be, to be modeling to them that anything is possible and anything. for them to be learning that. And, and I love as well what you were talking about is creating these communities as well so that you could have these beautiful, rich, empowering conversations with, with other people, exploring things, learning things, sharing things. And yeah, I really love that. I and mean, that's partly why I do this podcast because I really love all the conversations <laughs> I get to have with all these interesting people. But yes, I really think it's so important to be clear that anything is possible and that we can make anything happen really. And I think that's a really beautiful message. Uh, I'd love to ask you as well, I'm aware of the time. So I would love to ask you as we come towards the end as well about the impact of, of living this way in partnership with Miro. I'd love you to describe a little bit about 
the impact on him, on who he is and how he shows up in the world and what you think the benefit has been for him as an individual. I think it's really helpful because so often parents are coming into this with really young children and and part of them is a bit fearful about how how it's all going to turn out. And I think it's really lovely when those of us who are who've got adult children now can share how how living this way and making these choices has has been of such benefit to our children. I can authentically say that our connection is the highlight of my life. Our connection is so strong and so connected because of the years of intentional knowledge over his, you know, exploration of his inner worlds and expecting his accountability to be aware of what he's feeling or how he's thinking or or what his perception is and to communicate that with with you know within our family culture that was the part that was his part of the partnership right he really was accountable and he stepped up and he he it's serving him in in his adult life in such a tremendous way his adult relationships are so grounded in 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 a sense of knowing who he is there's he's just an incredible beautiful articulate intelligent wonderful human being who's compassionate and kind and okay so i sound like a bragging mom now it's beautiful <laughs> it's beautiful it's, He's he's just yeah he's he, I'm just so honored to be his mom but also again the the connection the true sense of being connected to another human being is so incredibly powerful we have a friendship that is like no other it's mm. it's just incredible mm. yes. Oh, I so resonate with that. I love that. Yes, uh, I sense that so much with my children too, this deep, profound connection that is just, it's really extraordinary. And this sense that when we've loved them with this unconditionality, they have this unconditional love for themselves and for us too. And this beautiful uh, relationship that is yeah, grounded in this self-connection for themselves and we can see their their strength and their clarity and their wisdom and their ability to articulate their beliefs about things and to share those and their compassion and it is such an honor it's such an honor to be the parent of 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 an adult who's who's been raised this way isn't it it's just just divine it really is my son and i co-host once, sometimes twice a year, um, partnership parenting courses. And I think most people come just to look at Miro because he's so articulate and he talks about it from the perspective of being raised in partnership and how that has affected him. I can't speak for him. He speaks very well for himself. But to be able to speak to, to other parents and very compassionately and authentically touch on the spaces where they're feeling fear and he can say look i'm 24 this is how i was raised this is how it's impacted me it's such a powerful testimony to 
this kind of work. And I'm sure your kids can speak volumes too. Yeah, it's so beautiful when they get to share that. My daughter does some posts for me on social media about Raised with Aware Parenting and what that's been like. And whenever she does one of those and we have conversations about what she wants to share about it, I'm always just just so blown away by her amazing understanding about all things. Thank you so much for that beautiful, beautiful conversation, Lainey. I'd love to ask you, how can people find out more about you? Where do you share your work and how can people come and explore if they want to learn more? Sure. Well, I wrote a book for parents of teens, as you said in in the introduction. Um, It's really for parents of all ages, but my my focus is really working with teens and helping them to cultivate a deeper understanding of their internal worlds. It's all throughout the book, but there's a specific chapter on tools that you can use. And I talk a lot about, you know, we we touched on adultism and childism. I, I tend to call it childism. I, I know some other people call it adultism, but I, I talk about those things and cultural norms and and sort of the challenges that we face when we decide to step out. The adolescent stage is difficult for a lot of people, and this is when our young people are starting to individuate. And if we are not aware of what's going on inside of ourselves as parents, we can take this personally. Well, you're doing this to me. This is about me when it's really about them. And so you can go to Amazon and find that in any country. And I teach uh, online courses. And for the younger teens and tweens, my son and I co-teach that course and then we still run trips through part uh, through uh, Project World School, but quite frankly, if you just search for my name, tons okay. of <laughs> I'll put all those links in the show description. Yeah. Thank you very much. And I always end my podcast, Lainey, by asking my guests, "What do you wish you'd known right at the beginning, or if you could go back to right at the beginning of this parenthood journey, what what would you love to tell yourself?" Well, the first one in my parenting was I had to learn how to pause. I had to learn how to create space between my reaction, which is a pre-programmed response, and pausing was the way that I did that. And then the second part was I had to stop and ask myself always, is this thing I'm going to say? or do, or demand, or request, is this designed to connect, or is it designed to coerce? And if there's a if there's a slight agenda, like I need to change his behavior because it's more convenient for me not to throw a fit, you know, especially when they're young, that's coercion. And so those are the two parts that I think are the the most powerful tool in my parenting toolbox. I love that. I love that. Such a powerful distinction between reacting and responding and such a powerful uh, distinction between connecting and coercing. And really so often parents say, my children don't listen to me. And and really what they mean is my children don't obey me. And so it really requires us to have a, a very different perspective. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing. 
Thank you so much for giving up an hour of your time to come and talk to everybody on the podcast. I've really enjoyed hearing your story and I'm sure that people will be really inspired to come and learn more. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's a wonderful podcast and I'm a huge fan of your work. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm-hmm.